end of a thing than the beginning. The Bible also says, despite not small, small beginnings, so everything starts with a beginning, everything has a beginning, but it is nice to come to the end of a thing. And very few, I think very few people, at least in this life, finish the things they started. You know, I read somewhere once that like, like I think it was like seven out of ten people have like a great idea, but only like one out of ten actually put that idea into motion. So it's like this thing where a lot of people have great ideas, a lot of people have strong beginnings, but very few people have like a, a, an absolute, uh, like a really good ending. Um, most, most people procrastinate. Most people never get there. We, we have arrived, and I'm happy with it, man. I, I think, uh, I think uh, it's something too sticking uh, to something, man, to see it done, right? I'm happy that we've taken this like journey through the entire gospel. And I don't think we did it just because uh, I know that I wanted to. I didn't do that. Uh, I did it because I felt like we needed to. I feel like we needed to. I think as a leader, uh, when we ask something from somebody, as, as far as being a leader myself, when I ask something for my kids or when I ask something else, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do or that I wouldn't do myself. Um, and so I, I think we needed to take this because where we're headed now, what God's going to talk to us about today in Mark chapter 16, we're in the last few verses back in there in that chapter, uh, I think we needed to be able to say, have some accountability, like I understand uh, everything that is before me, now I'm prepared and equipped to do what God is asking me now. And this is what we're going to talk about today, uh, a basic understanding of the gospel. Because that's exactly where we find ourselves today in today's message. We've been given this basic understanding of, of, of Jesus, this basic understanding. We went through the entire gospel since last year of October of Mark which means we have studied the life of Jesus just as if we were there with the apostles sitting right next to him, right there by the fire, listening to the words that are coming out of the mouth of Jesus. We've journeyed with them through this entire thing. We were there when he was healing people, when he was healing the blind. We were there when he was feeding the thousands. We were, we were there. We, we went there. We talked about these things, all the things that were in the background, all the humanistic things, all the spiritual things. We were there, right? And we, we did all this so that we would learn uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we could say we know, we know the gospel of Jesus and uh, that we know it in a way where our message today is going to tell us that was we're being called to go and preach. This is what we are called to go and preach, what you have learned over the last year. So today I call it mission day. Today is a mission day. Today we get our orders. I remember being a young uh, uh, 18, 19 year old kid. Uh, taken down to the MEP station. The day had arrived. I, had, I was on a delayed entry program where for six months I knew I was going into the Marine Corps. I had watched all the movies to see what boot camp was like, to see all this, but I wasn't yet a Marine. I wasn't yet anybody that was sworn in per se, but this is what we went down to the MEPs to do. We went down to the MEP station, which is, I don't even know the acronym for the MEPs, but it's a station where they basically bring you in, sign your papers, and get you ready to ship off uh, to wherever you're headed. And we we go down there, and I remember signing on the papers and then standing in the room alongside other young men uh, who have the same idea that I do, and we raise our right hand, and we pledge to defend the Constitution of the United States, and we are, for the very first time, starting to get an idea of what we've been asked to do, what we've been called to do. Today is our day for that. Today is where we raise the right hand, and we look back and we remember this journey and we remember walking with Jesus on his three-year ministry. This is where we begin to take it all in, right? So that we can utilize it for the sake of spreading the good news to everyone everywhere. 
Everyone needs a mission in their life to help bring them to focus. I brought this up on Wednesday a little bit, said I was going to probably bring it up in there because I was already dipping into my message. Is what happens when I start writing too early or preparing too early. I, I can't help but I want to preach it. Um, but in the military, especially around the infantry, the infantry, if they're not on mission, they're miserable. There's nothing worse than sitting around and doing nothing and waiting. And like in the military, they're notorious for it. Hey, at 6 o'clock, we're going to step off. And so he tells his people that, and then like two hours before, so that means we got to go out there by four. And then, the, and then my boss thinks, well, since they told us to go out by four, we should probably go out there by two so that we're ready by four. Next thing I know, I'm out there at midnight waiting on something to not stepping off till six o'clock. I'm right, Jared, aren't I? That's just how it is. That's how they think, right? We always want to be one step ahead. Leaders are always thinking like this. And I'm going to tell you the whole time, we're miserable. We're, you know what we're ready to do? We're ready to step off at six. That's what we're ready to do. We don't like this weight game. Right? They, they, they say a lot of them, like nothing worse than being home and not fighting. When you're an infantry guy, which is all you do is train to fight, there's nothing worse than being home and not fighting because you, all you want to do is get over there and when all you're there, you just want to go home. But this is what you're kind of meant to do. You have a mission and you're miserable without the mission. You're miserable when you're not on mission. And we see it a lot in the military. And the same is true for the church. Listen, I've been in a lot of churches, and it's an easy diagnosis. When a, a church is gossiping about itself, when a church is struggling interiorly, when a church is, is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, it's usually doing a bunch of other stuff it shouldn't be doing. You know, my mentor is notorious, notorious for always asking me this question. If you've heard me teach on leadership, you already know what I'm about to say is anytime I would gripe, moan, or complain about pastoring, not pastoring necessarily, but pastors or the church or other things, you know what he would say? How many people have you won to Jesus today? And you know, my first response is always shut up. You know, like, like that was my, like, because I don't have an answer for that. I'm too busy griping about the church to actually do anything for the church. Right? And that's his point. When I'm on mission, I don't have time to think about what everybody else is not doing. When I'm on mission, I got to get to work. I don't have time to look and see if everybody else is working. I'm on mission. I'm trying to save as many people as I can. That's what God's called me to do, to preach the good news. By the way, guys, what we're going to find out today, it's not just me that he's called. It's not just me, right? We are all called to the ministry of Christ. This today, what we're going to talk about is not where just my ministry is found. It's where your ministry is found, right? It's going to be the call to spiritual arms, man, to all who believe upon Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 16, around verse 15. It's the last bit of it. It's the last of it, guys. The last of it. Here we go. Say amen if you're there. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages, and they will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. And they'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they'll be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere, and they preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. That's it. We're done. We're done. Jesus is done. He's ascended up, right? His ministry had a physical end. Not a spiritual one, but a physical one, right? His body has ascended up into heaven. His last words, the very last things he leaves us before he leaves this world, before he takes his place next to the Father, 
is for us to simply just go and tell others about him and about what he has done. And this is our, not mine, not those who are called. We're all called. This is our mission. And I call it a mission because often it's referred to as the Great Commission, right? Now, a commission is real simple. It's an instruction or a command or a duty in which is given to a person or a group of people. So this is our duty, our instruction, and our command. And I know it sounds like I'm using a lot of military language, but that, not, that really isn't all that intentional, uh, at least not necessarily, because I'm not the one who created the name The Great Commission. You, you can go look it up. There were many scholars before me that referred to it as such. Uh, I'm just repeating what they have called it. The apostles called it simply the gospel. They called it the good news. They just looked at it from a human standpoint that Jesus, whom they believed was the Son of God, told them that this was important to do. And so their thought process is very simple. Uh, and you need to listen here because it should be this simple to you. It should be this simple to you. Everything that we're doing here, right? They believe Jesus was and is the Son of God. Simple enough. He was the fulfilled prophecy that had been spoken of since the dawn of time. This is what they believe. If Jesus is real, then the Father is real. Start just putting on logic here. If the Father is real, then heaven is real. And that also means hell is also real. And if those places are real, then there actually is a place that you go after you die. And if you have a serious choice to make in how you live your life here, because it has huge effects or consequences in the heavens, what kind of choices are you going to make? And I'm not sure at times that we understand the severity of such a bold truth. And I think it sounds spiteful. I think it sounds weird at times. I wonder if we just don't have a right view of our circumstances surrounding our decision to follow Jesus. Like, I know Jesus loves us. Jesus has grace. But man, if Jesus is real and all this is real, do you remember that, that there, the decisions we make here have both consequences after Jesus marked the traits of a believer just as much as he marked the traits of an unbeliever in this passage. The apostles furthered their thoughts of Jesus in their letters to the churches. One of those traits is found right here, and it's a pretty big one. Simply put, a believer in Christ will carry forth the mission in Christ. This is an assumed thing. If you believe in Christ, then this is who he's talking about. This is who this command goes out to. He wasn't just looking at the 12 and going, this is just my command to you. Everybody else is kind of on their own. No, this is to all who believe. This is to all who believe. We are to go and tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no way out. There's no like some, like listen, you guys are going to be called apostles and I'm going to create four other offices and we're going to create this hierarchy that does all the work and then there's going to be this group that doesn't do anything except pay you money so that you can do all the work, right? Nowhere does he say that. This is the great commission. It goes out to everyone. It means it's absolutely your ministry. It's every believer's ministry. No one gets a free pass from this. There are no clever way outs from preaching the gospel. I know you've heard all sorts of clever things. I've seen on t-shirt, go and tell the world about Christ, use words when necessary. That all sounds really good until you remember that people don't know about Jesus until you actually open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. Otherwise, what you are is a really nice person. Let's just be honest about that. Go use words when necessary. It's clever, and it sounds really good. And you should, and your life should be one where it acts in a way that is Christian, okay? Matter of fact, one of the neat stories I've read this past week, and I want to tell you where you do see, but there has to be word and deed line up. It can't just be deed. Because deed, there are a lot of people that are nice that are going straight to hell. 
I mean, I can tell you, I've had a few bosses in my life that are some of the best men I know, but they don't believe in Jesus. They don't serve Jesus. They serve themselves. They're nice to me because it helps them. They see the, they see the fruit of reciprocity without Jesus. They see Jesus-filled principles, right, that they could follow because it works for them. And because it works for them, they'll follow them. But that doesn't mean they follow Jesus. Now, one of the great stories I heard this week where deed and word followed was, I've been reading a book, and, and the interesting, it's not really a book, it's an interview, uh, and it is a, there's a person I work for who has a, fam- their grandfather was a POW in a Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp, and somebody came along because he's one of the few American survivors during his time, had came along and done an interview with him. And a super neat thing just to listen to a guy who sat for three and a half years in a prisoner of war camp. Uh, now, the story necessarily isn't about him. Check this out. This is where it gets neat just to hear the deed and word thing, right? A lot. When you say your one thing and then you actually live it to the best of your ability, right? Um, one of the things that he talked about is he was at Nagasaki for about two years and about six months after about two years of being at Nagasaki at a prison war camp, they moved him to a place called Aero, Japan. Now, in Aero, Japan, this colonel steps up, this colonel from Japanese army steps up and says, listen, you will work hard here. But I want you to know, and this is what it says in the interview, as it, him repeating what this colonel said. He goes, but I'm a Christian. The, the Japanese colonel goes, I'm a Christian. You will work hard here. I am required to work you. But you will be treated better here than anywhere else. And this man who's doing the interview, who was the POW underneath this guy who called himself a Christian, attests, he goes, we worked harder than anywhere else we worked. But he also fed us better. He made sure we were taken care of better. For the first time, our, our bellies were starting to be full. For the first time, somebody was taking care of us. And I thought, how neat that a prisoner under a man could testify that he didn't know if he was a Christian, but could say that this was a man of his word, at least. It was better. That's when your deed, what you say with your mouth, starts to line up with your actions. This, here's a guy trying to somehow support his government, right, to listen to the authorities under his Come on, man, this is biblical, right? Trying to submit to his authority, right? While in the same point, trying to be godly to everyone else. Trying to take care of the prisoner, the orphan. The, the, I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, here's a guy in an extreme position. Deed and word. You, you don't get to just act nice. Because then it would have just been, he was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. It was a little bit easier on us. But no, when he said he was a Christian, there was an expectation about what he was. Right? And then there's the expectation, you better fulfill what you say if you're going to say you're a Christian. Right? So people expect us to act in such a way. We don't, we don't get out of these things. People need to hear, hear the message of Jesus Christ come from you. You don't get to just get out of it by acting nice. That's not how this works. There must be the physical part of you telling somebody there must be the way we act. It also goes hand in hand, right? Before we go any further, though, let's just be honest. None of that's easy. None of that's easy, right? I mean, think, think of what is always asked, right? When we talk about preaching the word or saying somebody or trying to tell somebody the gospel, it's not easy. I mean, if I, if I asked y'all who wants to go with me door to door and we're going to go evangelize door to door and who wants to paint this room in here, I'd get more volunteers for painting than I would for people going door to door. Because witnessing the gospel is tough, right? We live in the Bible Belt too, where we have a lot of awful Christians. I'm just being honest. We have a lot of awful, su- su- you know, sub subpar Christians, right? That are gossipy, that are struggling with alcohol, that are struggling with all these things, and they blare it out. And unfortunately for for our culture today, that we have a society where your private life is now your public life, and we like to share our private life publicly. And because that is, people see all the bad things too now, right? 
They see everything. They don't have like this only part where they see you is in public part. No, that day is over. Everybody sees your private life inside your home now. All that stuff is over. So there's this stigma to Christianity now. I know guys that won't hire people if they say they're Christians. Because they're worried they're only getting somebody Christian in mouth and not in deed. That's what they're worried about. So they tend to stay away from guys that advertise they're Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. Uh Uh-huh, sure you are. Like, we don't believe it until we see it. You know, that's the cynicism that's been created by the subpar Christian, right? So none of this is easy. Preaching the gospel in the Bible Belt's even harder. Like my friend who's in Arizona right now, he's like, oh my gosh, it's awesome here. There's like so many people never heard the name of Jesus, so we could just go out and say stuff. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, not like here, right, where I got to convince you. No, Christians aren't bad. I know you, that, okay, that's a bad one. But not all of them are bad. <laughs> right? This is what we face. Because it's, we, we, we've, saturated our culture with horrible, horrible doctrine and with uh, uh, a whole lot of uh, untrue things. And we've allowed people to act in such a way or without correction and without accountability. Does God love you despite you? Yes. But God also says when the gospel comes in you that it's supposed to change you. We've allowed a lot of people to remain unchanged in the church and yet call themselves Christians. There's been a lack of accountability from the pulpit. And that list goes on and on. Preaching the gospel here in our city, in our community is difficult. Is difficult. And if I look or I contrast us against the apostles, listen but when Jesus spoke those last words to him, right? Remember, they were the culmination of a three-year-long discipleship training program. And he constantly taught his disciples as much as he could when it came to the kingdom of God. This is their whole three years, right? He recruited all of these men. He picked them out. All 12 of them. He didn't go after the current group of people already attending the church. It's one of the reasons we don't advertise a lot. Because the first people that come to a church plant, 70% of church plant growth is transplant. To reach lost people, you have to go be around lost people. You have to live around lost people. You have to hang around lost people. right? Jesus didn't go hang around the current group that just hung around the church. He went toward the people that didn't go to church at all. He went for the outsiders. He looked for people that were so far from the church. People who would be able to feel the weight of their sin in their life once their eyes were open to see it. They knew it. People like me, who like coming out of the Marine Corps was so solid in drinking and so lost in alcohol that when somebody said, you're a bad guy, I was like, yeah, I know it, but so what? I knew it. I knew that I was bad. I knew there was bad and there was good, and I knew I was part of the bad, right? He, he comes after people like this, right? People that are far away, and he required a lot from them. They had to be ready to leave everything and follow him. Many of them had to put their families on hold so they could follow Jesus. I'm not sure we are there today. I mean, a radical believer of Jesus would be so far-fetched. You'd be like, what do you mean leave your family to go follow this guy? How is that God? What I'm telling you is, is it is. Whether you like that truth or not, the apostles left their families, and their families survived without them for their time being with Jesus. And you are here today because they did that. And we're not given that their families were destroyed because of this. We're not told anything. We really don't know. And I can't imagine this being easy. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. They were really not given a whole lot, right? And listen, these men, they're also, they're not the silent type. These guys are pretty boisterous. They ask a lot of questions. These were men who had intense focus, right? They were men who were willing to give up their everyday life for the sake of whatever God was calling them to do. Listen, I don't know what this is with Jesus, but whatever this is, I want to see it done. 
I want to see this to the end. I'm going to follow this guy wherever he goes. I'm going to drop everything in my life to go do what this guy's calling me to do. This is who they were. And they did this because they had an understanding of who Jesus was. Right? They understood who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And there was this deep-seated appreciation within him to, to drive towards that even more. And man, that should be the same drive we have. It's what drives us to church every Sunday. It's what makes me come here no matter what every Wednesday, every Sunday, and want to be here no matter what. It's what makes me drop everything else in my life and be here because it's, it's, it's part of it's this indebtedness to God for this constant saving he does in my heart, right? Because listen, 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 man, I ain't no saint. I ain't no saint. Don't put me on that pedestal. I, put, I, I have to go to work the same way as anybody. I had somebody come up today and she, at the uh, park, who, uh, uh, not, not obviously that works in the park, there's somebody who visits from time to time, uh, and, uh, and, she, and she came in, and she goes, I got told just the other day that you were a pastor. Then I started thinking about everything I've ever said in here. <laughs> she goes, I was so embarrassed, and I was like, I'm just trying to love you where you're at. That's what else can I do? I'm just trying to love you where you're at. I said, She's like, man, I just felt so, I was like, listen, I work with all these guys in here, okay? All right, you're, you're okay, you're okay, it's, it's all right, you know. It's, it's funny, people, it, it, they, they didn't feel judged by me, right? They felt accepted, even though they, when they, when they reflected about what they had, maybe things that they had said, they felt, well, I feel bad because I had said some of these things around you. Well, but you didn't feel that for me, though, did you? You didn't feel that until you heard that. That's me trying to love you right where you're at, man, not, not try to condemn you right where you're at, right? I don't approve the things you say. But I'm going to love you right where you're at until God changes you. I don't get to change anybody. What I'm called to do is preach the gospel. What you're called to do is preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. When we compare ourselves to the apostles, how do we stand? How do we stand? Come on now. And don't put them too high. These are ordinary men. The Bible calls them unlearned and ignorant men. Right? Just driven by passion and truth to change the world. How do you stand? Because, by the way, you're smarter than they are. You have more theological training than they do. You have more books, more videos, more all, all kinds of things. Podcasts, everything is available to you. you. If you don't want to read the Bible, you can go get the Bible app, stick your earphones in, in, your, in your ear, and just put that thing on play and listen to it all night. You can have the Word read to you every single night before you go to bed. So if you're too lazy to read, we just read it to you. I mean, like, listen, literally, there's like no reason why you don't have the word of God in you. Like all excuses have been removed from you. This is going to be like the no excuse generation. And God comes up and like, and be like, well, I didn't know. Like, no way that you didn't know. How many memes did I put on Facebook for you? Right. <laughs> that gave you like one sentence at least, you know, for your countless hours. How many things that you see that you swiped across on Instagram with these multi things that people put up there? Like how many times have you heard like a podcast been shared or like, remember that 15 minute sermon that somebody shared the other day? I saw you watch it. <laughs> There's no reason why, right? And these guys, they had none of that. They had three years with Jesus and yet they somehow managed to change the people around them without any formal seminary training. They had no Bible. They had no money. Remember, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus. Rise. That's all he had. Belief. Belief. 
Yet they turn the world upside down according to all history books. Not just the Bible, but all history books. The irony of today is that Jesus is still calling ordinary men and women to do amazing things. But rather than focus on the mission, the truth that could actually change the world, they focus on so many other things. You become distracted. You take a simple mission, you make it a lot harder. We've adjusted it today to mean something a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more soft. We try to make it easy on somebody. We try to pretty it up. Maybe if I make church really pretty, you'll come to it because it looks so beautiful and you can be associated with beautiful things. So I'll put a lot of makeup on it and call it beautiful. That way you can feel like you're part of something beautiful. But the truth of the gospel is the God says, yeah, you don't look beautiful and I still love you. Yeah, because I'm your beauty. I mean, you remember the story in Ezekiel in chapter 16? It's one of my favorites. My, probably one of my favorites of all time in the Bible. Where he takes this child that he finds in the desert that they literally kick to the curb. Nobody wants this baby. They've thrown it out. And he says he picks it up and it's covered in blood and placenta. And he wipes it all away. He puts the salt on it. He cleans, it, cleans her up, right? And then he raises it up. And when he sees that she's going to be so, you know, as she gets older. And by the way. Ezekiel quotes God as saying she's the ugliest of the bunch like her sister is better looking than her and her parents are better looking than her and they threw her out because she's so ugly right God picks her up and loves her chooses to love her slows her crying down cleans her up and as she begins to mature says I'm gonna marry her and it becomes his wife and then he says, you know what? Because she's my wife, I'm about to put the best clothes on her. I'm going to put the jewels on her. I'm going to put everything on, make her look beautiful. Like all the nations are going to look at her and marvel. Look at this thing that's so, that was so ugly that everybody threw out. Look at what she looks like today. Boy, did we make a mistake, right? And you know what happens to the girl? Same thing that happens to us. That's what happens to Christianity today. That's why we beautify everything. We think everything... It says that eventually she believes that her beauty is her own. That it was, well, I was born like this. I was born beautiful. I've always been beautiful. No, 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 no. And God has to go back and tell her, no, no, no. It was me that made you beautiful. Your mistake. It was me that made you the queen of nations. It was me that married you. It was me that found you in the desert. You'd be dead if it wasn't for me. It was me. It wasn't you. This has never been you. It was me. We've messed this up. It's all soft. We've turned this thing into what it was never supposed to be. We're supposed to realize the truth. The truth is what? That we're all sinners, that we need Jesus. The good news of God is that God says, I saw you there, that nobody wanted you, that nobody thought you were worth anything, that nobody found value in there, but I find value in you. Remember, it was the Pharisees who looked at the apostles, people like you and I, and said, these guys are ignorant and unlearned. Surely you're not talking about these guys. Uh, he's like, yes. Yes, yes, I'm talking about these guys because yes, they, in your eyes, they are ignorant and unlearned. But with me, when you put me in that mix, they are more than that. They are more than that. This is the gospel. And in the end, all we've done is we really made excuses as to why we don't tell others. I mean, it's real. we've got all kinds of excuses of why. Well, I'm trying to, well... Listen, man, time's running out. Look at our society. I, 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 I'm not, I, I mean, I'm 45, and I've seen a lot, especially in the military, it made me pay a lot of political things. I paid a lot of attention over the years. I mean, I, I saw Russia when Russia, I remember when Russia was just the bad guys, 
And while some would say that they are today, maybe they are, but they're not like it was when I was growing up in the Cold War. I remember when that was thinking, wow, I watched them on TV like the military in Russia just took over the government. That's crazy. I can't fathom that. I mean, they're as big as America. Uh, I remember seeing the Berlin Wall come down in the 80s. I mean, there was a lot of things that were seemed like no way this can happen. And I watched all these things happen. I don't know if you're watching today, but like, man, I I try to like not look at the news because it's terrifying. It's so terrifying. There's so much hate being spewed and rhetoric being spewed, man. And the more they, they, the more they spew it, the harder it's going to be to get us right. And then the scariest part of a lot of this is because I know a lot of revelations. Maybe we need to spend time there. But, you know, one of the things it talks about in Revelation is how a man of peace will come. And he'll bring peace and bridge peace, but it's a false peace. Well, man, we are set up for that, aren't we? Because everybody will be ready for a man of peace to come right now. We would love it if all of a sudden we became bipartisan and everybody found this guy that they all love and they all admired and he's just like transcends to him. Well, that would scare me to death because the Bible talks about stuff like that. So it's like a no-win scenario. Even if I get the good thing, it's like, is it good? I don't know. (laughs) Amen? A lot of things are strange. These are strange days, right? But I can tell you this. It is time to do two things and do them right. First, it's time to live right before the Lord and be all in. No more halfway. No more halfway. Cannot be a convenient Christian. Christianity is not done out of conveniency. It is life. It is life. First of all, you say you're, you're, to be called Christian is to say that I am taking on the identity of Christ. I'm pretty sure Christ was all in. I'm pretty sure he is. Uh, he's all about the mission. It's trying to straighten life out, right, and quit living like you got time to. That is, that is a farce. Listen, I'm not saying like, hey, man, don't plan on a retirement. Don't plan on things like that. I'm not saying don't be wise with your finances. What I'm saying is this. Enjoy your moments. Be in the present. Forgive. You know, one of the things uh, my wife praying about her sisters this morning, she's going through this thing with her sisters. And, and, you know, they're so close at times. There's fighting. There's all kinds of things that happen. And, you know, we have these conversations like always forgive. We always have to be on the forgiving side. Why? Because there's going to come a time where you don't have sisters. There's going to come a time when your family members, your mom and dads and things like that, you're going to put your differences aside with your, with your sisters, even right now, to go see your mom and dad because those days will end. Like even right now, like uh, one of the things I've been wanting to do forever, and I'll say this to you, and I've said this even to them, like my parents, but I want off my dear lease. I've got other things I could do with that money and things, and I want off my dear lease. I'm kind of ready for that to be done. Like, you know I keep it? Because this is the last days with my dad to be able to hunt with him like this. There'll come a time where he ain't going to be able to want to hunt as much. He won't be able to go do some of those things. And right now, my brother and I, we've kind of stepped up to kind of help him out in areas. We do a lot of the work now. And it's this one time we get to come together and be father and son. Because other than that, I live four hours from him. He lives out in the woods. I live out in the woods. It's hard to get to see each other. And this is the one place where it comes. And so I do it. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm not living like, well, they're going to live forever. No, they're not. Neither are my kids. My kids are young, right? But I can't forfeit a day with them. All right? That's not forever either. I know people who have lost kids along the way. I've got a friend. I've shared it in here since we've started this church, all right, just in the last three years, okay? She had two kids when we got out of high school. I mean, we used to have a lot of fun, really good friends. Uh, She married another one of my friends, and they've had this long life. They had two kids, a girl and a boy. Three years ago, three years ago, her freshman daughter at Texas Tech was hit by a drunk driver and killed. Raised her all the way up to get to her freshman year, and she was killed. A year ago, her son was killed in an accident, another uh, automobile accident, hit by somebody else. She has lost both her kids, 
everything she spent her whole early life for. Nothing is promised to you. I guarantee if I brought her in here, she'd teach you a lesson about how nothing is promised to you. Right? You better enjoy all your moments. Every moment, man. Thanksgiving is not a time to go be upset or get mad or anything else. You forgive. Why? Because you realize you are Christians. You know that time is not promised to you. You you know this. You have all the theology. You have all the word of God in you. You know this. It's not guaranteed. Remember who you are. You're called to forgive. You're called to do these things so that you remember time is short. There's a mission to do. That mission starts with the first people around you all the time, which is your family. The greatest mentoring you'll get to do, the greatest pastoring you'll get to do in your life is to your family first. Is to your family first. You don't have a lot of time. That's an illusion. Time keeps moving and you're losing it every day. Tomorrow isn't promised to you, so quit living like it. Be in the now. Secondly, you need to get on mission. Get on mission. Jesus told you, those who believe, that's the key, those who believe, to tell others about the good news. It's not not just me. He told you too. Nothing has changed. You either believe this and you're doing it, or you don't and you're not. For those who would say that you believe but are so self-consumed with your own life or your own adequacy to tell others, then you're right in believing that you're going to struggle in witnessing. If life is still just about you and you're so busy with your life, then yes, you're definitely not, you're not where you should be and you are going to struggle with witnessing. You know, I've said it in here. I go and talk inside the bank so I can have relationships with the tellers. Why? Because I'm going to witness to them about Jesus. There's, I am strategizing on how I'm going to tell you. Like, Stephanie, you think it's coincidence that you're here? Some of you, you think it's coincidence? Think it's coincidence that we work together at the Y? That's God divine. Those are God divine appointments. Wherever God sends you, He's creating divine moments for you. Right? They become the best blessings of your life if you let them. It was a divine blessing. When I met Stephen McKnight and he invited me in my home and asked me to come help him, one of the biggest divine blessings of my life, man. Some of my mentors have been some of the best divine blessings of my life. Some of the people I've met who I've watched get saved and come up and they, they start doing church and they get, oh my goodness. Some of the best blessings of my life to watch kids grow up who, who follow Jesus at 14, 15, 16 and begin to follow Jesus at 20, 25. Like uh, one of our friends that we saw on Facebook last night, they, they're having their second kid. I remember when she was 15, her mom didn't believe, her dad was never there. All She, she was living under a single mom trying to do things right. And you know what? Uh, She eventually witnesses to her mom. Her mom gets saved. Their whole life has changed. She's married now, about to have her second kid. And man, I have to take a step back with her because she's more radical than me. Some of you know her. Her name's Brandy Ballou. But... But she, she can get more radical. I remember when I was getting my credentials, and here she is. You know, she was like 18. I'm like 30-something trying to get my credentials. She's like already got her credentials before I did. And she's not taking a pulpit or anything like that. But I remember when she turned 18, she's like, well, I'm going to go do missions. I'm not waiting on a husband. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And she went off, and she did missions for like a year or two in Moldova. I was like, oh, my gosh, scared the heck out of me. Every time I see these 18, Daisy Christensen, who's getting ready to go to uh, overseas and do missions by single women doing missions, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, the bravery in some of that is incredible. I mean, they're just going to go out there, and, I mean, because by the way, guys, I've seen it go bad too. You know? The bravery it takes to do some of those things. These are people who take it seriously. They're people who are going to go and do what God has called them to do. They understand the mission. 
They feel it, right? By the way, when we seek the kingdom of God first, all things will be added. You know what? When she was out there being single, seeking the kingdom of God, God sent her a husband that wants to seek the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry about the rest of your life. God has the rest of your life. Do the mission. God has the other part of you. When you're wondering how you're going to make it, how things are going to... How, man, it seems like such a struggle at times. I know, but all things work together for good to them who are called to God. Do the mission. Let God worry about the admin stuff. You get in the field. Get in the trenches. Let God worry about the other things in your life. Give those things to Him. He has a purpose and a plan. The Bible says all these things. Know your words. Stand upon the Word of God. That's part of being... Listen, when I was in the military, uh, one of the things I had to be is considered to be as 0311. That means I was a basic rifleman. It also means I was a small arms weapons expert. I knew, how the, I knew the M16A2. I could tear it down, put it back together in a few seconds. You have to be able to do it within like a minute. You could tear it all down, put it all back apart in no problem flat. That was part of a test you had to do. I also had to, know that I had to be able to take apart and put back together the M60. The Mark 19 was a grenade launcher. Awesome thing, right? All these things I had to be able to take apart and, and put back together in less than a minute, right? Because I'm supposed to be an expert at the thing I'm called to do. You're called to, be a, you're called to preach the gospel. <laughs> be the expert. God says, I've given you everything. I gave you, listen, I gave you that phone. So there'd be no excuses. So you could whip up that Bible app, hit play, and listen to the whole chapter. Just read out chapter by chapter by chapter. Just read out to you so you'll know the Bible. Guess what? There are all kinds of other people that feel called to tell you about the Bible or teach you about the Bible. And you can jump on their podcast or audio sermons and listen to all those things. And listen to what they have to say. Matter of fact, there's tons of books out there. There's all kinds of resources out there. There's no reason why you can't be equipped in what you were called to be equipped in. This is what we're called to do. And the bad thing is when people see us not doing what we're called to do, they automatically assume that we're not even Christian. That's where people get confused, right? When we're not doing what God has called us to do, they wonder if we are who we say we are. Everybody knows, everybody knows that the church is called to preach the gospel. So when they see people not preaching the gospel, they start to question, are you who you say you are? Are you a Christian by word only? Or are you a Christian by deed too? What are you? Because if it's your by word only, like just because just you say you are, it's not really all that. There's a lot of people that say they're Christ-like. And it, come on, let's be honest. When somebody tells us that, we don't automatically assume that everything's right. I can tell you, even as pastors, pastors have like secret code in almost how they talk. Now, when they talk to somebody else, isn't that? But when pastors talk to pastors, there's like all this underwritten language happening where we're trying to fill each other out. Like, are you a really good pastor or are you not a good pastor? Like, I can, I can tell by the way you talk or the things that you might say that'll give you away. And there's certain little things. And certain, because listen, it's everywhere. It's not just, listen, guys, it's not just you guys and not us guys. It's all, all the church, all the church, right? We're called to be born-again believers. And, what, and listen, when we talk about this command, what is it in its entirety? What is Jesus really asking us to do? What is his vision, basically, for those who uh, believe in him? And it's simple. And we're going to break it down just so that we're clear in what, what's being asked of us, right? Because at the end of the day, we're to go and preach the gospel. Well, what is it? What is that? He gives us the command in Mark chapter 16 and 15, breaking it down. If we're just going to break this thing down real easy, go and do what? Preach. 
two very active verbs right there. Get up and go. Go means don't stand where you're at. Move forward, back, somewhere, go. All right? And then he says the next thing you do is preach. He doesn't say just sit there and act nice. He doesn't say they're just be good. He says preach. Command is a military term to give an order and more specifically an authoritative order. Jesus has authority of all things in heaven and in earth. And so he uses this authority to tell us to do these two things, to go and preach. So what we're supposed to do is absolutely clear. There is no doubt we're supposed to go. There is no doubt we're supposed to preach. We cannot sit still because the command says to go, right? And the actual meaning in the Greek that, that means that we are to transfer what has been given to us into others. This is what go means. We're supposed to take what's been given to us and transfer it into others. Maybe this is why in Revelations, I think it's chapter, chapter 12, that they say we're known as overcomers. Also because of the blood of Jesus, but also by the power of our testimony, right? The power of our testimony allowed us to overcome a lot of things. We begin to remember what Jesus did to our life, and that becomes the testimony of our life. That testimony becomes the way we end up preaching Jesus. Nobody ever goes, hey, do you, I mean, like, well, I take it back. Outside my brother-in-law while we're in the garage going, hey, do you know you're going to heaven or hell? Most people start out like this. God changed my life, and I believe God can change yours. Can I tell you my story? And man, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the story that changes lives. That's why we're known for two things as overcomers. The blood of the Lamb, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how He saved us, and then our testimony of how Jesus saved us, which is basically the story of how we met Jesus and what He's done for our life. Those two things right there are what win people over. That's what we preach. And preaching is the other command that we not just live in a way that's right, but the word is to preach. Yes, you can preach with your life, but this cannot be what's intended here or meant because how else would anyone actually hear about Jesus? You are to tell them. That means open your mouth, have a discussion. And just so there, there isn't any confusion, the Greek word here means to publish or to proclaim openly, to herald out before all. So any questions here? Yours to open your mouth. He specifically meant for you to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. There's no way out of that, right? In this, in this way, you're able to tell your testimony. You're able to convey your story of what God's done for you. And listen, if you're, if you're struggling here, if you think this thing's hard, or if you're living or believing in a way that's contrary to Christ, this is, this is where it's going to be hard for you. And you know what the really easy way to get back on track is? Repent, which means to return. You say you're sorry, God forgives you, and I know this is impossible, like hard for you to get because we are bitter people and we tend to be vengeful, but God actually forgives you. The Bible says that not when he, forgiveness happens with God, he forgets, which means that all those things you think you're going to be held accountable for that you've asked real forgiveness for in Christ won't be uh, recalled once you hit heaven. Because he doesn't remember them. They've been forgiven. He has an ability for which you struggle with. When other people ask forgiveness from you, you're like, yeah, I forgive you. But I ain't never talking to you again in my life. That don't sound like forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, everybody laughs. Is that true? We got there. Like, uh-huh, that's like reading it right out of my journal. Like, they, I forgive them, but Lord, you're going to have to help me. No, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness means like you're going to pick it up and treat it like they never hurted you in the first place. That's what Jesus gives you. That's crazy. That's hard for us to understand, right? But this is, this is, you've got to repent and return and get your life back on track. Then it'll be easier to preach the gospel. 
You could preach it from an honest standpoint, right? You be true in your heart with it, man. Allow the Holy Spirit to create something new in you so that that newness carries, man. That newness carries. You, you can tell when somebody's alive for Christ. You could tell when somebody's happy about the gospel. You could tell when somebody loves Jesus. It comes out everywhere in their life. It won't just show up on Sunday. It won't just show up on Wednesday. People will start to say, yeah, oh, man, that gym, dude. Like, I, I, like, one of the big things people say about, uh, about me is they're like, uh, well, besides, hey, you talk blunt. Uh, they'll, say, uh, they'll, they'll say, man, I, uh, like Barney and some of these guys with FCA, they're like, I always like hanging out with you. Like, you're like a fireball. And I'm like, well, I just want to get real. Like, I'm tired of, like, playing games about Jesus. Let's just get real with Jesus. I, I, I came here to serve the Lord. I moved four hours from where I grew up with everything in my life to come down here and serve the Lord, to preach the gospel, not to become the guy who stands up and talks for 20 minutes, sits down and tries to collect a paycheck for it. I didn't come to do that. I came to make more people like me, crazy, sold-out, radical for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he changed my life. And I know you don't get to see that because you didn't see the change happen. But I'm telling you, who I stand before you today is not who I was. And the only way that happened, it wasn't because I was so smart and I was so good or I read enough and I did enough. No, it's because one day Jesus then he came into my life and he began to tick away at me. He began to be the voice in the back of my head that says, do you really need another drink? No, I don't. You know what? But Lord, I think tomorrow I might. <laughs> and you know what he would say? He would be like, we'll deal with tomorrow when tomorrow gets here, but today's victory. And then tomorrow would come and Jesus would be there and be like, Lord, I'm thinking it's a hard day. And he's thinking, sure it is. Every day is going to be a hard day. Get over that. Get over that. But today, seek me today. Seek my truth. Seek my wisdom. Seek my heart. Right? Give those things to me. Let me take care of you in this area. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm just praying. I believe it. And I'm beginning to read. And I'm finding myself consumed into the thoughts of God. And by consuming myself into the thoughts of God, I find myself consumed by God. And today, I'm going to tell you, at my house, my kids will testify, but there's not a day goes by where we don't. God is the head of the household. Which means, when bills need to get paid, joy doesn't come to me. Joy goes to the Lord. When something emotional is happening, because I have a whole bunch of girls in my house, and I don't understand how all that works. You know who I go to? The person who makes girls. I go to the Lord, because they bear the image of Him as well. And I go to Him, and they, man, they help me with that. My Lord, I don't know what to do here. I want to be a good dad. I want to show them affection. I, I don't want them to be find affection in men that they don't need to find affection in. I want them to be able to find that here so that they look for a man like me that seeks after God, that loves his wife, that wants to be with his wife forever. I want them to find a man like that. God, God will you do these things? Because there's nothing I say to them that's going to make that in their heart change. I can't make heart change. God does. So I seek the person who makes the heart. Right? God is the head. When we have needs in my house, we seek the Lord. That goes for me too. It's not just a matter of, well, if we need money, Jim just needs to go get a second or third job. No, the first thing I do is I consult the Lord. And if the Lord says, go get a second job, Jim goes and gets a second job. I mean, some of you know, when we first started the church here and I'd left and I didn't have anything and I left not having anything uh, from one church going to something uh, where I didn't know what we were going to do. And I took a two month sabbatical to really figure out what this was going to be. Some of you know that I worked basically three jobs and still came in here on Wednesdays and Sundays. I work three jobs. Not because I want to. Who wants to work three jobs? But the Lord opened doors. If I had never worked at the Y, I would have never met you. If I never worked at Hidden Falls, I would have never met you. 
divine appointments. And I, you seek the Lord. These things happen, right? God gave me divine places to go. All those were opportunities. God says, I'm going to give you a new sowing field. There's something to be reaped there. There's something that just needs to be cultivated. The seed just needs to be planted there. It'll blossom. We just, I'm going to send you here, and you're going to plant seed over here, and I'm going to send you over here, and you're going to plant seed over here. You know, for even my two years that I was at Faith Academy, and it drove me crazy being around that many people that call themselves Christians at times, right? Listen, there's a bunch of really great people there. But there's also a lot that it's the church, okay? It's just the church. And there's a lot there. But you know what? That was a place that needed accountability and correction at the time, and it was a good place for me to be. Helped balance me out. Not everything was a, listen, not everything was an evangelistic field. Some things were just a field of mentoring. Some things were a field of, of, uh, uh, of, of accountability. Some things were different fields. And, it's no, and you, I, can't, I don't know which field I'm being sent to. I have to ask God like everybody else does. By the way, I don't get at the front of the line. It's not how this works. God is big enough for all of us. He's listening to your problems just like he's listening to mine. I don't know what to do just like many times you don't know what to do, which is even crazier that you ask me at times what to do. And you know my first response in anything when anybody asks, some of you already know this, well, what did the Lord tell you? I mean, that's what I go. I just go straight to the Lord because what kind of advice can you give me that the Lord, I mean, come on. I'm thinking his advice is probably better than yours. Well, what did he say? Well, he hadn't said anything yet. Well, how long have you prayed? Because God talks. I don't know if you know this, but God talks. A lot of times he might sound like your inner voice, but he does talk. Know the difference. Know the difference. The more time you spend with him, the more you know somebody's voice. Know the difference. Right? Listen, it's hard. It's hard. It's got to be more than just Christian by word. We have to be Christian indeed. We have to be able to tell things, right? So we're called to go, and we're called to preach, right? But here's the thing that comes up now. Where do we go? All right, God, I'm ready to go. All right, I don't know where to go. Like, all right, I know what I'm, I've been called to preach. I can handle that, God. Oh, wait a minute. What am I called to preach? What do I say? What are the things? How do they, right, it's a valid question, and I think it has a simple answer. Jesus says this. Into all the world. Where in the world is all? There's not a place called all Texas. I looked it up. I thought that would be a funny joke. It's not. There's not a funny joke in that at all. There's no place called all. It all means everywhere. That means that there is nowhere that you can go where the gospel isn't supposed to be preached. That means it's all in. There's no way you can get that messed up. So I can go to Granite Shells and preach the gospel. Yes. I can go to my neighbor. Yes. I can go to Super Taco and talk to the latest the waitress about Jesus. Yes, everywhere. There's nowhere you can mess that up, right? No way, right? Who are you to preach to? Jesus says, everyone. Pretty simple. That pretty much clears it up. So there's nowhere you can't go and no one you can't tell. Pretty, I, I mean, it's pretty wide open there. You can't go wrong unless you don't go anywhere and you don't tell anyone. That's how you mess this up, all right? Then we've got problems. That would mean that you're only a Christian in word and not in deed, and don't be like that. Start to tell people about Jesus. Let go of all the cynicism of church. Let go of the bitterness of your humanity and how you feel about people. Let go of all those things, and it's time we start seeing people like Jesus sees them. He sees them dying in their sins and heading for an eternal fire. Listen, remember this. Jesus had dinner with the Pharisees, but how many times has he told you, don't be a Pharisee? How many times have we talked about Jesus going, man, don't be like these guys. Most of all of the chapter of Matthew 6 is how don't be like these guys. But Jesus sat down and had dinner with them. Why? Because they need forgiveness too. They need help too because they get the gospel too. They get the gospel too. There's no, don't let some of those things get in the way. 
Everybody is in need of being rescued. And Jesus has sent them you. Jesus has sent them you. So what kind of first responder are you? Because the rescue needs to happen. You're the first responder. And what are you to preach to them? Again, it's real simple, the gospel. And what is the gospel? Do you know how to articulate it? Do you know it? Do you need to be some kind of seminary student to understand it? Remember now, all the disciples were constantly called ignorant and unlearned. Surely you can do better than them, right? Nobody's calling you ignorant and unlearned. Surely you can get more, right? We have more information. Again, we've talked about this. There's no excuses. Technology is just about taking out everything. Listen, if you don't know the gospel, Google it, because Google knows. I did it. I looked this week. Just to make sure before I advised it. Listen. Man, it really, I mean, seriously, technology is like taking out all the excuses of faithfulness. You literally have a phone. Think about this. You literally have a phone where you can set an alarm so you don't miss church. Guess what? And even at time change, that excuse is old. Like, I can't believe anybody reminds anybody anymore. Your phone updates. You're not in church because you don't want to be. I see all these pastors, you know, they try to be all clever with their little things that they'll put up there about time change. It's like, does your phone, does nobody have like an iPhone today? I mean, like we're at like generation 10 now with the iPhone. Like, like babies, I, like little, uh, 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 I see little bitty babies now that carry phones around and know how the phone works. I mean, come on, even the baby knows that the satellite updates the phone. So I don't, I mean, there's no excuses anymore. There's no reason why we cannot make church. Like, listen, and even there's no reason why you don't know the word. You can download a Bible app. Uh, you can get a devotional every day. You read the Bible out loud. There's countless other stuff out there, right? And the sad part is it only proves one thing, that people don't take Christianity serious because they simply don't want to or they just don't value it. There's no reason that everyone doesn't have the knowledge of a preacher because you have everything you need to be able to preach. And for those who still don't know the gospel or struggle to define what it is, let's just make this simple. This is the gospel, that mankind is fallen. It's lost in sin, that you and I were once sinners. There was no way for us to go to heaven unless a sacrifice for our sins was made. However, God chose to make a way for us in Christ. Christ died for our sins, but on the third day, he rose from the grave. Now he is seated on the right hand of the Father. Our sins have been forgiven, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will also be resurrected into eternal life. That is the gospel. That is all that was required for you to preach. That's it. That just little thing that I just said. That's all that's required. That you admit you're a sinner. That you ask forgiveness for your sins. And that you believe this truth which we have told you. And in believing, you will receive it. By faith, right? God will do what he says he will do. And it's that simple. It's small. It's concise. It's not difficult. It's just the truth. Just the truth. We want to pretty the gospel up all the time. That's why we struggle with it. Well, I want to say it in such a Listen, I love it when Paul says, you know, I didn't come to you with lofty words and like a sales pitch. I just gave you this gospel. Listen, quit trying to spice it up. There's no way. I mean, I always think the, I, like preaching the gospel is hard for this one reason and one reason alone. I have to show you in some way or fashion how awful you are. That is not a great friend starter. It totally isn't. Like, it's totally like, if, if, the, if the first thing I ever said to you was like, 
do you know how awful you are and how much you need Jesus? That would sound so condescending, right? What is it like? I'm not. No, I'm awful too. You know, it just is a weird way to start that out. But the truth of the matter is when I preach the gospel or we say how much you have a need for Jesus, you have a need for Jesus because of your sin. Because inherently you are bad and you can't help it. You're selfish and it's your nature. That's why social media works for us, because we're selfish. That's why we like the iPhone, the Facebook, the, all the things that revolve around self. I mean, it's, it, 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 me too, guys, listen, it hits all of us. It appeases our self, which is the very thing Christ says, to be my disciple, you must carry your cross daily. You must kill this thing called self. This thing called self is killing you. It's killing you. The dream, the adventure of your life is waiting for you to kill the self. Because it really starts when you start living for everybody else except you, right? And then you're going to find your real purpose. Then that's when you'll find the real you. It's a crazy concept. It's like foreign to us because it's not what the world teaches us. The world teaches us, look out for number one. In your life, look out for you and yours. Christ looked out for everybody else. It was not about him. Christ like totally toppled the hierarchy of church. Even today, I don't know how the pastor got so high with all the other callings, but Jesus was supposed to be here and you were here. He cleaned your feet, not you cleaned his. And he said that that was leadership. If you wanted to lead and you want to be a Christian, if you're going to take on the identity of Christ, Christ says, then you know people are going to come up here and you're going to be down here. You will exist to serve them, not the other way around. Right? It makes you feel good to give and to serve, and those are good things, but don't let it think that make you think that you're up here. The whole point is that you serve them, that you abase yourself and serve them. This is what the gospel teaches. This is what makes us different. This is why when we preach the gospel and they see us living the gospel, it changes lives. How can you be happy living so down here? Because, man, this is where I find my true self. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's nothing better than giving. The Bible calls it uh, uh, that giving or being generous is a gift too wonderful for words. Why is that so? Because it's when we're really serving others, when we're being the most selfless, right? That's when we're being the most selfless. This is what Christianity teaches. This is what we're supposed to be preaching. This is how we're supposed to be lived. Uh, we struggle in preaching this truth. We, we try to pretty it up. Uh, we, we, just like we pretty up our, our churches and, and we pretty up our bodies. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus accepts us just like we are. That person you wake up before your husband sees you, all that, he loves that. That's the person he made. He didn't make that person that put all that makeup on. He made the person before that. <clears throat> the one that only your husband likes when your hair looks like that and you had not brushed your teeth yet. Yeah, he loves that person. Jesus loves that person. That's the person he made. I've talked about this in before, you know, like the saddest thing I think, you know, having girls has made me have to look at this. The saddest thing I think I, I come against more often than anything else is the fact that society has told my girls that they, if they don't put all this stuff on their faces that they're not pretty. Jesus made you perfect. Don't buy into that lie. Jesus made you perfect. I know society requires that from you, and you've already bought into that, so you think, if I don't wear this, I can't be pretty without that. That's not, that's not true. Amen. That's not true. And it messes up our idea of the gospel. 
it messes up our idea of the gospel because in the same fashion, the way I could look, you know, again, God teaching me the gospel through my wife and kids is because they believe that they've bought the lie from the world that you need to be improved to be accepted. That is wrong. That is not the gospel. And I can't stand it when the church acts and does stuff like that. The glorious thing about the gospel is that he accepts you like you are because you're created in his image. He doesn't see anything unbeautiful. He sees himself He sees himself, and then he loves it just like you are with all all your originalities. We we, will call them all kinds of with your weird traits, and we say all these things that aren't right, but the truth of the matter, it's all your original touches. You're a masterpiece to God. Ephesians says so. Paul calls you the masterpiece. You're a masterpiece to God. You were meant to look exactly like you look. You bring that to the table before the Lord. You you bring what nobody else can bring. You're an individual made, wonderfully created human being. And so is the person you're telling the gospel to. And and I'm going to tell you, you can lead like that and it will change people's lives. God loves you just like you are. Take all this makeup off. Take all these things off. God loves you just like you are. To the guy who's trying to look cool and trying to have the big truck and trying to impress all the girls. Look, throw all that junk away, right? Throw all that junk away, all that status, all those things like chunk, all that. God loves you just like you are and accepts you just like you are. And this is the truth of the Lord, right? And we just start the gospel right there. And what is the result of going and preaching the gospel? Jesus says that those who believe this truth will be saved and those that don't will be condemned. Now realize this, uh, uh, that Jesus doesn't condemn them. They condemn themselves in their unbelief. I tend to say it like this. Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. You're already headed there. He just chooses to intervene. Because I hear that a lot. You know, well, it doesn't seem like a, you know, a choice really. I mean, it's either I can go to heaven or hell. Well, no, but it's your choice. It won't be his. It's not his. He came and died so you don't have to. And all you got to do is believe that and allow that belief to change your life. And if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. You can keep on living your life. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is your heaven. The sad part is for the Christian, this is our hell. And heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. Man, this is the good news. This is the good news. where I was here so choose today what you'll do don't let the world be a distraction don't let the world be a distraction you know what you're called to do you know what the mission is this is our swearing in right I purposely put us through a year of the gospel purposely it's not like I just like hey let's just do this because I don't know what else to do No, no 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 there's a purpose there's a reason there's a reason we're driving someplace I want to take us to the to the book of Acts. I want to take us to where we start functioning and moving in the Holy Spirit. I want to take us to, to there. But let me tell you something. What stands before us is Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says that the Holy Spirit will come when, and, and will allow you or create in you the, the ability to witness to others. Right? But if you're not going to witness to others, you don't need the Holy Spirit. And basically like brings this claim to it, right? In Acts 1.8. But listen, you don't get to have the Pentecost moment without the cross. You don't get Pentecost without the gospel. 
you got to know the gospel first. And then when you know the gospel, you have to do what you're called to do with the gospel, which is to go preach it. The Bible says when you start to preach it, Acts 1-8 now, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you and endow you with it, and it's going to do all sorts of things. It's going to spread from your home to your neighbors, to your neighbor's neighbors, into your city, into your community, into the world. But you have to start. You don't get to just get to the Holy Spirit part and the healings and all these things. He, no, even in this text right here, he says all these things at the end that are going to take place, they take place because you're going and preaching the good news. You have to be on mission. You have to be on mission. So this world is a distraction, but we have to be on mission. We can't lose our focus. The mission takes us always back to where we're supposed to be. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, people will expect us to act like one. We need to be acting like that. Lastly, by not witnessing the gospel, you forfeit the results of the mission-filled life. Jesus promises you these things. Listen, this is not me saying it. Jesus said these things just as we got through reading here, right? And this is what's coming. This is what's coming. This is why we spent over a year teaching this. This is what's coming, right? Jesus specifically says that signs and wonders will follow, that demons will be cast out. Spiritual struggles, let's be done with them. How long have you been hanging on to some of that junk from your past? Some of you, man, you didn't even know. Can I tell you something? I'm, like one of my biggest ones right now is I'm trying to deal with my military stuff. I'm putting together, I, I've been putting it off all year. Doing some stuff with my discharge and doing some things with the military. And I'm having to retell some of my stories that I've literally, you know, like my, uh, when I saw a therapist this year, he said, you've uh, uh, suppressed these things for 20 years. I'm like, yeah. And you know what I want to do? I want to go back to suppressing them. And for whatever reason, the Lord right now says, we're going to deal with this so that you can move on. I'm going to heal this wound, right? And man, and, and, and it's, for some of us, it's time, man. For some of us, I know for me, I'm going through a season where God's healing wounds, right? It's got nothing to do with y'all, but it's still a wound in my life, right? God says demons will be cast out. He says that you're going to speak in new languages. Get ready for weird stuff to happen, all right? I like how he says, we're going to hold, he says, you can hold snakes. We're not going to do that in here. I used to tell people, when we, I, I used to tell people, when, you know, that when people are like learning Pentecost for the first time and they're like, oh, you're Pentecostal. I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we only do the snake things every fifth Sunday. You know, like we have a five week weekend month, you know, that's the only time we do that side of thing. Right. But it says poisonous things won't hurt you. And you know what I tend to think of that? I think about poisonous people, poisonous people. Neither will. Uh, 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 you'll be able to place your hands on the sick and they'll be healed if we're to press forward. And into the first chapter of the book of Acts, you'll see that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts 1.8? So that you will never be alone in this thing that he called you to do. I'm giving you a mission to go and preach the gospel. Matter of fact, it's going to be hard. And it's going to be so hard that as you go out and become witnesses, by the way, in the, in the Greek uh, for witness, Luke was a Greek scholar. He was a doctor. So he, he wrote the book of Acts. And, and in the book of Acts, the word witness, all right? I, I have done an exhaustive study on the book of Acts and preached on it a long time ago. But the word witness is actually the word called martus. You know where that, why does that sound familiar? Because it's where we get our same word for martyr. That root word is the same place. That Greek word gives us, gave us the English word of martyr. God says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit and you'll be witnesses. You'll be martyrs on my behalf to all these places. And to me, you know what that really says? And it's not to say that you're going to die. But it does say this. It's going to cost you. 
if you don't think you're going to lose friends being a Christian, think again. There are some people that if you can't love me for being a Christian, then we definitely are not going to hang around each other. If you feel like I'm condemning you all the time because I disagree with your lifestyle, then yeah, I can see why you're not going to hang around me. I might tolerate it. I'm, I might, for the sake of winning you, might tolerate it. I, might not, I don't have to agree with it. But I'm always going to try to win you. I'm always going to try and go and preach, and I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to give me the right moment in those times. And here's the thing about churches today. Why you got a lot of dead churches? Because if you're not going to witness the gospel, you can, teach the, you can teach the church all day long, but if you're not going to go witness outside these doors, what do you need the Holy Spirit for? A lot of churches are dead today because they don't do the mission. I'm not going to, it's, you know, it's like God saying, I'm not going to fund a church that doesn't do anything. Why should I send you something that was created to go do something if you don't do it? Wonder why there's no revival going on right now in America? Maybe the church isn't doing what it should be doing. Maybe there, this is what happens when we fall into issues in the church, gossip, when we fall into issues of, of uh, sexual misconduct, you know, whether it's in the pulpit or whatever, when we fall into issues of all these kind of crazy things, it's usually because we're not doing the mission. Listen, when Marines get bored is when Marines get in trouble. But when they're fighting, there's nothing they do that's wrong. Like they literally live it day and night and don't do anything to get themselves in trouble. As soon as the fighting's over, they're in trouble a lot. Because when they're on mission, right? Military, when they're on mission, everything's great. And the church is no different. It's no different. I'm going to tell you this, and this will be my proclamation. Let's get worship back in here. We will not be a dead church that doesn't function in the Holy Spirit because we fail to witness the gospel. Let me say that again. We will not be a dead church that doesn't function in the Holy Spirit because we fail to preach the gospel or witness the gospel. I will beat that war drum till you're tired of hearing it. You were called to go and preach. You were called to tell other people about Jesus Christ. It is not a one-man show. It's not a two-man show. It is an everybody show. Everybody's called to do this. This is not just to the five offices of the church. By the way, there's nowhere where it says that you uh, are, are called to a sixth or seventh office. You're not one of these five. No, all of you are one of the five. All five offices of the church, all five ministry heads of the church are called to be in the church. You are one of the five. Which one are you? That's another discussion for another time. But I'm going to beat this war drum until you're tired of hearing it. I will sound the alarm when it looks like we're becoming too inward and not enough outward. I will blow the trumpet when that happens. We must go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all that will listen. All that will listen. Listen, man, what that looks like is this. It looks about like my wife's pumpkin patch what it looks like i'm gonna plant all these seeds and i mean a bunch and this this vine just pops out and it like overtakes like the whole yard i mean not kidding like the whole yard it's huge and it just is branching forever like 30 feet all right for three pumpkins that are like this big there for the longest time, I know y'all saw that post where she was like, I don't know how to grow these things. How come they're not growing? Right? I've got, I've got 2,000 flowers on this pumpkin vine and three pumpkins. What's going on here? Right? That's about what the gospel's like. I see all this opportunity for growing something. How come it's only three? Listen, welcome to the preaching of the gospel. That's why a lot of people get frustrated with it. They want it to work every time. It's not called to be like that. You're called to plant the seed. You don't make the pumpkin grow. You're supposed to plant the seed. 
Somebody's going to come along. The Bible says and somebody's going to water it. You know what that looks like? It looks like joy plants the seed. I come by and I water it, right? In the gospel, that looks like somebody else uh, goes and plants the seed. And then all of a sudden, you know what? They're at a different place in their life. They're kind of scared maybe of coming back to the same person where it started. They'll go down to a different church down the road and they get saved. You know why they got saved? Because somebody poured a seed into them. And you know what the next person did? He watered it and watched it grow. And listen, that's okay. The Bible says it's this. And some people are plant, some for some, you will preach the gospel and it will be the seed planted in their life. That's all it's going to be. And it'll be a seed that just sits under dirt, maybe some dry dirt. And then somebody's going to come along and that's what they do is they have water. That's all they got is the water part. And they pour water on it, right? And even then, somebody might come along after two other people have, pl- have planted and watered and the third person comes along and he's just there to like, oh, look, there's a, out of nowhere here, there's just like something growing here. And that's okay. That's okay. The idea is to sow as much seed as you can. And when it's time to water, God will tell you, he'll, he'll make you be the water. When it's time to be the reaper, it's time to reap. You'll be the person supposed to reap, right? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the news that changed the world. This is the news that you're called to preach. And can I tell you, just lastly, if we can't go all over the world, we will support those who can. We will support those who will. Daisy Christian, we're going to support her this year. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. She's willing to go to a place that we can't get there or we're not called to go. And she needs our help. And so we step up and we're going to help her. There's missionaries around the globe that they're called to certain places. I can't, I'm not called, I'm called right here. But just like I'm called right here, they're called somewhere else to a different people that they don't, they don't even hardly speak the language and they have to learn it. They they love these people so much. God's put something in their heart for these people so much that they're willing to go get so uncomfortable and have to learn a new language and learn a new culture. Man, I watched Jason Morris, who's over in Vietnam, eat like duck eggs and it looked like a duck was still in the egg that is called called to a place all right that is called called to a place you know why because he ain't gonna offend them he's gonna learn their culture and he's gonna love them and you know what loving them does makes them love their culture and then they see that he genuinely loves them and when they see that because he's so accepting and so loving their culture and so loving them that they receive the things he has to say and life begins to change for them. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, they see it in him now. Jesus loves us right where we're at. And they see Jesus in him. He eats with us. He eats what we eat. He, he's trying to talk like us. He loves us so much he's trying to, trying to fit in with us, right? And then when he's able to do those things, he's able to tell them about the love of Jesus that makes him have such a place in his heart for these people to make him come over. I mean, think about his testimony. God wakes me up in the middle of the night and says, I'm supposed to go to Vietnam. I've never even been to Vietnam. I don't know why God would tell me such a thing. I grabbed my, and his wife is American Indian. I grabbed my American Indian wife, and we decided to go learn the Vietnamese language. Drive around with our five kids on two mopeds. Look at the pictures. Like two mopeds. And they got kids like strapped, like backpacks all over. And God called them to that. You know, the first time he went, he was investigated by the the state police because they're communists there. So he had like these people tailing him, making sure that he wasn't preaching Christianity. So he has to kind of like be quiet about it. You know, because technically he's a teacher. <laughs> he teaches the English language to some of these guys. And in the backside of it, he's preaching the gospel, smuggling Bibles, 
taking it out there into the jungles of Vietnam to places that have never seen anybody else. Because God does that to people. God has called you here to the people around you. This Thanksgiving, he's called you to the people you're going to see. How are you going to act? How are you going to behave? That's, that's, all, that's all up to you. Last thing, the apostles became all that Jesus dreamed for them. They became what Jesus had dreamed them to be. I'm going to challenge you with this, and we're going to go to worship. Are you allowing the gospel to make you into all that Jesus has dreamed for you? Have you allowed it to really change your life? Have you ever allowed it to really run your life? And have you allowed Jesus to be the head of your house? Right? Have you allowed it to help make your decisions? Have you allowed the dream Jesus has for you to change you? Let's go to worship this morning.